Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Representative Jackie Toledo. She covers the Florida House District 60, which is around Tampa and the surrounding area. Welcome, Representative Toledo. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, the pleasure's all mine here. Uh, we're going to kind of dive in a little bit about this Florida House bill you have sponsored. It's Florida House Bill 961, also 12 co-sponsors, kind of covering a big role of what PBMs or pharmacy benefits managers do in your state of Florida down there. Now, I was reading up on this a little bit, and you have a little bit of an interesting story as far as how you got interested in PBMs, because you're a civil engineer by training, not someone we expect to know or be in the weeds on some of the PBM things. Can you explain kind of how you got interested in the pharmacy benefits manager topic? Yes, thank you so much for saying that. And yes, I am an engineer, so by trade, we tend to look for root causes of any problems. And I didn't even know there was a problem until one day I went to the pharmacy to get a prescription filled for my daughter. And they tried to tell me that the prescription that I was getting was $480 versus the $25 that the doctor told me the drug would cost. Obviously, that's a big difference. And I asked, you know, for them to call someone else and to get that price. I had to wait there and negotiate back and forth for about an hour and a half. And then at the end, after they gave me the $25 price, I said, what ended up happening? Like, what was the problem? And they said, well, our PBM did not approve it. And I go, what is a PBM? And at the time, I had just been elected and I was on a healthcare committee. So, you know, when you're not in that industry, I started to learn the acronyms of all different healthcare terms and stuff. So I realized that that could be a problem and trying to figure out ways to solve and reduce the cost of healthcare. This is definitely one of the ways is reducing the cost of prescription drugs. So I started researching, which is what most engineers do and found like a plethora of reasons why we need to hone in on what PBMs are doing and how they're making money. I really love the way that you approached it. And you definitely approached it like an engineer looking for the root cause analysis here. I love that term. As a as another type of scientist myself, that is something that kind of, you know, tickles my fancy. I love hearing that someone's looking at it that way. So I think that's awesome. With this, Florida House Bill nine sixty one, you had twelve sponsors, which they were all across the board politically. So I think that just kind of shows how important this is. You have listed in here that PBMs will have a fiduciary duty to individuals and to the entities that they cover to pass through the various streams of incomes and financial benefits. And it also includes opening up the records for the to the payers and things like that. Can you explain some of this bill to the listeners and why they should care about it? Absolutely. So having the fiduciary duty to the plan sponsors means they're going to give them the best price. So if the intent of PBMs initially was to negotiate drug prices, So they would negotiate these drug prices and maybe get them from the manufacturer at, let's say, a cost of $5, but they weren't passing down those savings to the health plan sponsors. So who were they looking out for? Who is their client? And then it got very complicated when they started buying the pharmacies. You know, so the PBMs now own a pharmacy and it became like a vertical integration of what's supposed to be something that was meant to lower costs, but now it's increasing costs because there's no one saying that they can't do this and increase and dictate what the cost of these drugs are. 
Yeah, and it's pretty interesting with how the PBM model works. The nutshell was kind of cracked open just a couple years ago, and we found this huge spread pricing differences where they essentially were paying the pharmacies a certain rate and then billing the insurance a different rate and then keeping the middle on it. That By doing that, they were making these huge profits. And from, I believe it was 2014 to 2016 in a state like not Florida, but Massachusetts, they saw it go from 22% in spread pricing to 54% in spread pricing, which when we're talking prescription drugs, we all know they aren't cheap. That's billions of dollars when you're looking at the big picture of things. Is that another one of the things you really wanted to kind of tackle with this bill? Absolutely. We wanted to eliminate spread pricing. I'm not saying they shouldn't make money. These middlemen have a role in the process. But this is completely taking advantage of the system. And that's why we need to start to regulate them. You know, different states have been finding the spread, like you said, millions and millions, 224 to 300 million dollars with what Illinois has shown that PBMs have charged their state. And you see it everywhere. And as we continue to investigate it, we're going to find that Florida is also overpaid for prescription drugs. Yeah, and some of that kind of came out in a report I believe I saw from 3Access Advisors, which one of the people who's the backbone of that is Antonio Chacha up here in my state of Ohio. And he's really been leading this charge and been very aggressive with some of the stuff he's putting out there. But it's also just speaking truth to power more than anything else. And he found a know in Ohio is like something 220 some million dollars in just one year for the spread pricing. And, you know, Florida, although it is similar to Ohio in some ways, is a much bigger state, has an older population, and it could be impacted by even more. So if Ohio was 220, I would love to see what Florida's number came out of that. Have you uh, read or heard of that report from 3Access Advisors at all? Oh, absolutely. It just came out a, a couple weeks ago. So it is a very thorough report and there's a lot of great data and to shed light on this issue. You know, after session, I'll be able to go through it more carefully, but it does have a lot of data and data doesn't lie. You know, you see it plain as day as what is happening and the abuses that these PBMs are having on our system and contributing to the cost of healthcare. Another thing that you had in there as well in the bill, if I remember correctly, was patient steering. You wanted to kind of get away from that so that PBMs who, like you said, own their own pharmacy couldn't steer patients to their own pharmacy and they had to pay equal or maybe even close to equal no matter where they're going. Is that correct as well? Yes, absolutely. And that's consistent with so many other professions and industries. Like you can't self-deal. For example, lawyers can't self-deal. If you own an MRI machine, you cannot have all your patients go to the one that you own, or realtors can't self-deal as well. So this is very consistent, and I think it's obvious that we should do this. I mean, if there are no other pharmacies in an area, maybe that's the only exception, but like most places that have many choices, you should be given all those choices. It's about access and about patient choice. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that pharmacists have been preaching about for a long time is that when certain pharmacies get forced out of business, you're reducing access to care and possibly quality of care because there might have been an uncompetitive advantage that pushed one pharmacy over the other. And it might not have been better. It just might have been that they were also owned by the PBM and could price the other people out. In fact, on this podcast before, I've had a Florida pharmacist who was run out of business by PBMs kind of share his story with some of that. Absolutely. And actually, this is anti-competitive when you only send the patients to one pharmacy. Now they don't have to compete for that business. So really, it's going to eventually create a monopoly if you're going to drive out the smaller independent pharmacies. So that's not the direction we want to head in. We want to make it as competitive as possible. 
And the crazy part is it's not just affecting the independent pharmacies. We've seen Walgreens even closing stores across the country because they're not competitive with some of the current PBM structures and the self-dealing that you're talking about going on. And they're a Fortune 500 company. They're, on, they're listed on the Dow Jones. They're, they're a heavyweight. So if they can't keep up, that shows you just how much power these PBMs really have with some of that. Oh, exactly. And I mean, you have Publix as well, Walmart, who is a pharmacy. And it's all about access because people need to get their prescription drugs as easily as possible. And the worst case I've seen and heard of is when they force you to do mail order. Now you might have to wait five days for a prescription drug. And you can't wait five days. Some people require that that medicine immediately. So now they're back in the hospital for something that could have been prevented if they could have just gone to their neighborhood pharmacy or to Publix. So yeah, this is impacting and will contribute again to the high cost of healthcare. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head too, that mail order. That's something that a lot of patients struggle with. Some people like it and it works good for their medications, but certain medications do have storage requirements, whether it be insulin or specialty medications that some of these PBMs force to their own specialty pharmacies and then mail it out. But a lot of times, and I've had Loretta Bosing on the podcast before, you have where some of these medications are mailed and then the insulin comes frozen. Well, that's totally ineffective then. So now the person has to wait even longer to get a new one. And you said five days. I think that's pretty quick. I've seen it take up to a couple of weeks in a few cases. There's no way someone who's a diabetic can go weeks without their insulin or something like that. I think that's the important that you talk about with access of care. Absolutely. I had someone who I heard she had cancer and she had to go to get a drug and she had to pay. Initially, she only paid $50 for that drug. It's an anti-nausea drug. And the second time she went to get her medicine, it cost her $500. She did not have that $500. So she couldn't get that drug that day. She couldn't take it for two weeks. And she vomited, lost 19 pounds in 10 days, was back in the hospital. So really, that was because the PBM decided that it was coded wrong. And the drug is now $500 for this anti-nausea drug. And you know what? She said that she found it somewhere else cheaper. So, you know, it's just this greed by the PBMs that we have to end so that people can be healthy. Yeah. And like you said, I have no problem if someone makes a dollar in serving people or helping, you know, reduce costs, but that's not what's happening here. It looks like just pure greed. In fact, PBMs are one of the few parts in pharmacy that are actually profitable these days when you look at some of the Wall Street reports that have come out. And you hit on another big thing, and that's the fact that a patient could go without this medication and end up in the hospital if it's a heart med. And even if it's something common like a nausea medication in this in this patient's case where they lost 19 pounds and when you get dehydrated, your electrolytes can get all out of whack and that can be a, a dire, dire emergency for that person. I really like the fact that you included stuff like patient steering in this bill because that's been a huge topic that, and I know my pharmacy has lost hundreds of prescriptions because of a contract that just switched with Medicaid. So that's been a huge issue that I've personally felt with that. So I know that's a huge thing that they're doing to make more money and run some of their competition out of business as well. What other things do you think that you would like sharing with some of the people about this bill so that they can kind of understand it a little more if there's anything I might've forgotten or they can get behind or help support send this information out to their representatives to help support it? Well, like you said, self-dealing, the steering is definitely one of the biggest things I think would help in making it more competitive and thus reducing the cost and increasing access. So that is the first thing. But just passing down the benefits and the rebates and the, the cost savings down to the payer or the plan sponsor, I think that's big. That's also part of this bill. You know, and then transparency in the future because 
what I have found is they will find a new way to make money. So, <laughs> you know, there's different ways that they're making money. They're, they're the, like the mafia of the, I say the legal drug world. Yeah. So they're taking money from the pharmacist. They're taking money from the manufacturer. They're taking money from the plan sponsor, from everyone that they can possibly take money from. So let's shed light on that. This bill also has transparency as well. So, again, I think everyone is entitled to be in the in this market and to make money, but at the cost of what? If we're not trying to reduce the cost of healthcare and increase access, then the government has to step in. I totally agree with Definitely. you. We, we should have a free market as much as possible, but when it comes to stuff like that, we should do what we can to help take care of people. That's what we're here for. It's called health care, not health profit. It looks like also on the call here, we have uh, Vikram Rao with SPAR Florida. Vikram, did you have anything you wanted to add about this? Yes, definitely. Thank you for uh, allowing me. Uh, what I wanted to add is, let's not forget, uh, PBM do play a very, very important role, and they are very essential to the whole healthcare model that we currently have. They are the intermediary to help solve prescription claims in a real-time basis, and they check for drug interactions and they sometimes give us additional information about the patient. If the patient has used a different pharmacy, different doctor, or a different medicine altogether, we would be the first one to know through PBM. So they do pay, play a very valuable role. But the way they are designed to work, they are supposed to be fiduciary. They are not supposed to be a profit-making entity in between. So that's where we went wrong, by allowing PBMs to do whatever they can to make money and take, like say, Government is giving some dollars to the PBM to spend on patients' health care. PBM is straight away taking almost half of that money to keep into their own pockets to line up their CEO's pockets and only spending rest of the half to the patient's health care. That is what is wrong with current PBM model. Yeah, and you hit on a really important part there too, Vikram. Uh, thanks for coming on about the government spending part of it. Essentially, Representative Toledo, you can do this to help reduce patient health care costs and reduce government spending. It's like a win all around for everybody, especially if you're keeping more pharmacies open who can then provide access of care and have a more competitive marketplace. So this has so many wins in it. That's why I wanted you on here. I thought that it was just well-designed, well-thought-out, and was a win for every single entity except maybe, like Vikram said, the CEOs of the PBMs in this case who have kind of abused it for so long. And I, I just want to add that there are some people that think that it is up to the employer to fire the PBM if they don't like them. And and I've talked to several employers that have no idea what a PBM is. They <laughs> don't hire PBMs. They hire healthcare providers, so Blue, Blue Cross or whoever, United Healthcare. And the United Healthcare then contracts with the PBM. So they have no idea what the PBMs are doing. So that's when I need to educate and inform employers. They need to start asking those questions. They need to start asking for data and what have these PBMs done for them? You know, how are they reducing the cost of prescription drugs? Looking at trends over the years. Because most people say, oh, the cost of healthcare has gone up. Every year, my company pays more money. Well, why is that? And they start blaming the manufacturers. Well, the cost of drugs go up. Really? Let's look at the data. Is it the cost of drugs? Because I don't, I think it's the PBM interfering with the process, and that's what's the, increasing the cost of healthcare. There's a really good research out there by 46 Brooklyn that has been showing some trends with drug manufacturer prices and list prices and AWP versus NADAC and all these other acronyms that come into drug pricing. And 
There's been some interesting data that drug prices, especially the generics, have went down as more and more have hit the market and there's fewer brands for some of the commonly used stuff. So to see that, you know, healthcare prices have went up, but drug prices may have went down and pharmacy reimbursements went down. Well, who's getting the money if the price is going up? It seems kind of obvious. But again, like you said, so many people don't know what this is because they've operated in the shadows like the prescription drug mafia, if you will, for lack of a better term. I like that analogy a lot. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's what, you know, I hope this podcast can help to inform people and to have them to ask the right questions. Yeah. And that's kind of the reason I want to, I put this podcast together. And I really think that this is something that every pharmacist can go out there, promote. You have a ton of pharmacists in Florida. You have some pharmacy schools that are down there right by the Tampa area that they could really take this to their representatives. If it might just be you, but it could be another representative in the area and say, hey, this is something that we can make a huge impact with, affects my profession and I know something about it. So I hope that I hope this does get out a little bit and does share some of your thoughts on, on these topics. And we've got some big stuff coming down the pipeline with it, not even just in Florida, but with the Supreme Court hearing Rutledge versus PCMA here in April, which is the uh, Pharmacy Care Managers Association, their lobby group is being sued by the Attorney General of Arkansas And that's coming up soon here, and that's going to really try to open up some of these things so that when laws like this get passed, they can definitely be rolled out without any question because the Supreme Court said it's it's allowed. And I'm glad that you're getting ahead of the ball on this. That way we can see an impact with it. Was that something that you knew about? No, I actually didn't know about it before I filed this legislation. It's just coincidental, and it's because it's such a big problem. I think everyone is starting to realize that PBMs need to be reined in. So whether it's the attorney general or the governor or the CFO or representatives, I think everyone needs to put their eyes on this issue and try to solve it any way we can. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And again, when legislative session is over there in Tallahassee, I hope you have time to read over that three access advisors report. It's amazing. I did hear that a Florida legislator called them three guys in a basement, which is pretty funny that you know, one of those people who wrote that three-axis report, Antonio Chacha, was actually in the Supreme Court case of Rutledge versus PCMA. He's actually named in there, which shows just how big of a player he is in this. So thanks again for putting forward this legislation. I'll let you go here in a minute. But where can people find you if they want to reach out to you on, like, social media? Or maybe is there like an email they can reach out to help show your support? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Toledo for Tampa. And then my email address is Jackie.Toledo, T-O-L-E-D-O, at myfloridahouse.gov. You can find me, though, on the Florida House of Representatives website. You didn't get that, but, you know, I welcome any questions and any feedback and stories. The, the stories really help, and, you know, we'll continue to move the needle on this issue, and I really want to try to get as many people involved as possible. I applaud you for letting them send in stories, but you might get you might get a whole separate email full of just those stories if we, we open up to everybody there. Oh, there. That's fine. I love that. Hey, whatever it takes to get, get the problem solved, right? But yeah, hey, thanks again for hopping on here. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.